podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown. I am Jack Elders and I am joined by Callum Goodall again this week. I think that's going to be happening quite a lot over the course of the season. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going, mate? Yeah, all good, all good. Um, been a busy week, uh, but looking forward to going on holiday tomorrow, so that'll be nice. Although I'm quite scared. I've just seen that it's, it's reported to be 38 degrees real feel where I'm going, so I think I'm going to struggle. Um, but nonetheless, it'll be nice to have a week away from work. Well, I spent several weeks over the course of the summer in Seville, and if you've never watched a video edition of this podcast, we're both pasty gingers, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we're both going to survive this year. Just before we talk about start talking about Chelsea, uh, if you want to support the pod, it would be much appreciated. Getting the, the video we need to be able to do this is, is not cheap, so if you could head over to analyticsunited.co.uk and uh, head to the members section. Any support would be much appreciated. We pay what you want. There will be articles out on there. I think I'm going to write something about Chelsea and and how this functioned and go into the tactics a little bit because it was quite an interesting game, which bodes well for this podcast. But yeah, you'll be able to access everything freely. But any support would be greatly appreciated. Okay, game two, second game of the season, and. If you would have said to me at the start of the season we were going to win one and draw one of the two first games, I wouldn't <laughs> have thought it would be this way around, but I will definitely take it. feels pretty good, Cal. I feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're back. I think we're back. I think Moyes Ball is back. Um, yeah, we've seen two different but distinct Moisean performances. I think we're back to the low block and I think the narrow shape we're going to come on onto all that but I think more than anything just it's great to get another another win over Chelsea and I think the the performance I think I joked to you actually the the performance I was half expecting Yarmolenko to come on in about the 70th minute and, and wrap it wrap it up it was it was so reminiscent of that sort of pretty much that goal really the Antonio goal wasn't that dissimilar in the way we broke and sort of carried it down the pitch and then cut inside and bangs it into the bottom corner um but yeah, it was great. Some really good individual performances. I thought it. I started to see things clicking on the pitch, and we spoke about it last week. How it's probably going to take us longer than other teams uh, to to sort of get into flow this season because of the way we do our business at West Ham and the preference to bring players in late for no real apparent reason apart from just tradition. Um, but uh, but yeah, there, there's certain relationships that are starting to build. We saw some nice cameos from the new players and. Um, yeah, there's bizarrely, like like you said, I didn't think I'd be saying this two and a bit weeks ago, but some real reasons to feel like we're going to have a positive season. Yeah, you don't want to overreact to the first two games, uh, but it, it feels, I mean, Moyes sat down in his post-match press conference and said he was thrilled with the players' performance, <laughs> uh, that we hadn't done everything well, but we had done the basics very well um, mm-hmm. and shown a... a a, a strong level of resolution is how he put it um and and fight to make sure that we we got a result it feels very strange it's like we've you know cleared out the coaching department and uh the king is back <laughs> back in control of everything we're playing 442 we're not going to talk about that again this week because we talked about it last week <laughs> you know when it comes to how, how was the shape this week Cal? we're not going to be doing what we were doing last season <laughs> talking about all kinds of different ideas popping off no it looks like we're this is us we're back to to the the old classic and uh you know when you said it was reminiscent of previous Chelsea games it just felt 
I don't know. It, there was an element for me watching the game. It's like, I've seen this match several times over the last few years. I know how this runs. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're gonna push. They're going to keep pushing. They're going to keep trying to, to, to break through. It's going to be tough for them to break through when we're playing like this. And then the spaces are just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger for us to exploit on the break. And it's only going to take one of them to come off. And, um, and we got two. Two, four mm. goals in the first two games of the season. What's going on? This was not what was happening. It's <laughs> not what was happening last year. Um, I think the, the 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 biggest talking point for lots of people on, on, on this game has been a first half of of uh, dismay from a fan's perspective and a second half of, of much greater confidence. I would say myself watching it, I wasn't quite as dismayed as so many people clearly were. Whilst I did think that we seeded way too much control of the match in the first half. I didn't really feel like we were conceding massive chances with huge regularity until right towards the end of the first half where it became a little bit more uncomfortable, obviously the concession of the penalty and the, and the equaliser. But it started pretty well. And I suppose one of the, one of the major things that James Will-Prowse is going to offer us is exactly that kind of upside that we spoke about, being able to to give us deliveries that get us into these situations and games. And that's what West Ham used to be, wasn't it, Cal? It used to be taking a corner, getting one nil up, and as Moyes put it, then you've got something to hold on to. It was fun. Like, it feels weird to describe it like that because it was a backs-to-the-wall sort of dig-in kind of performance. But I think we're going to have to get used to that because that's clearly how we're going to play. Um, but I think it also suits the strengths of the squad um, and if we're going to continue to build in the direction that we look as though we're going to build in these final few weeks of the window, um, given the names we've been linked to, it definitely seems like we're committed to this. Whereas I think last season, the squad was a bit imbalanced because we were caught between two styles of play and um, we had half a squad at times who were better suited to one, fitted together with half a squad that would prefer to have been playing the low block and counter and it kind of just didn't click. So uh, as frustrating as it can be when you kind of take the macro lens to think, oh, it's so annoying that that transition didn't work towards that possession style because I think it was the logical progression. The fact that we've acknowledged the shortcomings of that and kind of whether you think we should or should not have stuck with Moyes is a different question, but the fact that we've stuck with him and now we're kind of saying, okay, we're going to make sure that the squad resembles something that you can do that can get the tools out of it, uh, to get the results out of it, sorry, with the tools that we're going to give you. I think... Again, there's question marks about that and whether that's good squad planning, etc. But it it does mean that I have confidence that we probably will have a solid enough season. I don't think we're going to be embroiled in the sort of issues that we were last season way down at the bottom of the table. Like I say, I don't want to jinx it, but I have more confidence looking at this squad now and the way they're sort of performing. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it? When there's, there's sort of a purist element, isn't there, to how football's played. And there's an element of me that subscribes to that as well because I'm, I love relationism and all that sort of stuff that Diniz and um, people like that are doing because it's just a joy to watch. But this notion that David Moyes plays boring football, I think it was more boring watching us try and pass it around the back last season with Rice dropping in between the centre-backs and just struggling to actually make anything happen because we weren't capable of doing it. It's far more enjoyable, to my mind at least, to kind of watch us dig in, win every header, crunch into tackles, and then every now and then hit on the break. And every time we hit on the break, 
have confidence that we might actually score because it's what we're good at rather than sort of flirting with the idea of passing the ball into the box and then losing possession and then being hit on the break. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I always think back to that Leon game and it's just like, how can you describe this as not exciting football? Like counter-attacking is the most exciting football to my mind, especially if you do it well. So I think it definitely can be fun. I think people just get frustrated not watching us have the ball for more than 50% of the game, but I think you can hear it in our voices. We're relishing a return to to, to what David Moyes does best, <laughs> and um, and long may that continue. Because you know, ultimately, he's the guy that's here. So you know, it's no, yeah. there's no point in in sitting and, and whinging about us not having sixty percent of the ball. We're playing Chelsea anyway. You know, the amount of money they spent on their squad. There's holding on, and there's holding on though. And in the <laughs> first half. Yeah. Um, was it maybe a little bit too easy to to build through and get get to the edge of the box and, and be in the final third for really long periods? Yeah, I think so. We struggled to retain possession when we had possession, I think. And I don't think that was the, the MO really, but it did feel at times that we didn't... When we got the ball, we kind of freaked out a bit and we're like, well, this wasn't part of the plan. We're not meant to have the ball. But obviously when you do get it, you need to be able to do something with it. And I, I felt like we didn't seem happy that we were in possession at least in that first half um and i think like i say we keep coming back to it but that's going to come with a team that don't really haven't played together properly um they don't have those relationships um and we're kind of getting you we're transitioning back to a style of football that we we didn't play for the whole of last season so it's going to take some getting used to but yeah and, and then i think the flip side was in a similar way, those relations not being fully developed yet, I think it was quite passive and some of the channels were far too easy to exploit at times in, in build-up for Chelsea and, and when they progressed through the thirds. I think there was clear patterns of play that they were... They kind of tested out a few and then they worked out which ones were going to work and then kind of rinsed and repeated with those, um, in particular with the with the way they built up through the midfield and, and the sort of makeup of that midfield and the responsibilities of, of Enzo Fernandez uh, and, and Chukwameka in particular. Um, but obviously you're going to come onto that in much more detail as, as the resident tactics guru. So, uh. <laughs> Well, I think it, it felt in the first half, like the way that we chose to, to deal with um, the fact that they can get five across the last line once they've built three. So the first thing that, that happens, the first domino that I think falls in terms of them having a little bit too much comfort in the first half, periods of the first half, is we didn't look to press Enzo enough. And and Chelsea, over the first two games, have been doing a lot of building in a sort of 4-1 shape with Levi Colwell, left-back, uh, Silva de Sassi um, as a centre-back, and, and then Reese James game one, Malagusto game two in the right-back slot, and then just Conor Gallagher as a six. And we didn't really look to engage the back four in that shape at all. And we tried a little bit to engage Gallagher. Um, we were keen to kind of try and press him, but not really engaging on anyone else. Um, and Chelsea very much worked out, as I felt kind of happened a few times in the Liverpool game as well, that um, it's easy enough for them to build through if Enzo can drop off from that more advanced position that he might start with. Into, into a deeper position alongside Gallagher. It sort of becomes a lopsided 4-2 with Enzo more to the right side. 
if that doesn't quite work for them off the first um, set of movements, Malagusto can move forward and, and make that front five by com- by becoming a right-sided winger. Chilwell obviously starting as a as a left winger in possession. Um, so when Malagusto does get forward into that into that more advanced position, then Enzo can drop into sort of the right back slot. And when he's able to drop into more uh, into deeper areas, he can kind of quarterback. And he's such a good player on the ball. If you give him loads of time, it's easy for Chelsea to build through using him and then start to to advance play into that final third where they've got the five across Jackson, Chukwemeka, uh, Sterling, and then Gusto and, and Chilwell stretching the play on on the flanks. Um, our response to that, you know, the first domino that falls, Enzo's getting on it too much. They're building through too easy. There's not really enough pressure on them as they're building up. That allows them to get into the into the midfield and then towards the final third. And then when they're advancing, when Gusto is inv- advancing, we're then reacting to that by something that we saw a lot really uh, we've seen sorry a lot over Moises period which is the left winger becoming an auxiliary defender um in these situations so teams in the Premier League a lot using sort of a 3-2-5 or a 2-3-5 attacking shape and the way that we respond to that is by dropping that left midfielder into a left wing back position and the left back becoming more of a center back it becomes a back five into in a very deep block and with Ben Rama doing a lot of that in the first half kind of getting behind Gusto being goal side and there being a clear five across the the back line being that deep, I think, gave Chelsea a lot of control with the ball. But secondarily, when you're talking about counters and us not really knowing what to do, you know, you're saying there's sort of a panicked element to our play when we got the ball. We just didn't have enough support for for, for, for the counter. So, you know, you play up to Antonio, it's really hard to get a ball in behind for Antonio off the first pass because Chelsea have their three at the back. They've got nice wide coverage with Colwell, Silver and De Sassi. It's really hard for Antonio to exploit that in the channels um, because of the fact that there's a three. And if you want to play off Antonio, play up to Antonio and for him to knock down to someone, you know, your wingers, your left wingers all the way back at left wing back, your your number 10 as such is, is having to sort of fill in more kind of in a left midfield position because it becomes almost a 5-4-1. So that takes him further away. So in having the forward players kind of that far apart from each other when you're trying to connect counter-attacks, I felt it was really difficult for us to get the support to advance up the pitch really quickly. And that allowed Chelsea to have a lot of control in the first half and, and made it difficult for us to get out as much as we would like to. That felt like it changed a lot in the second half. People were easily able to identify the fact that we felt a lot better in the in the second half. And I think one of the biggest things that changed is, the, is where we chose to, to engage on the pitch. So when we're talking as the first domino to fall in that whole sequence where things then start to slightly go wrong in other areas, um, being Enzo, being able to drop and get on the ball, turn and play forwards, and Chelsea's build-up is a little bit too easy in terms of progressing through to the final third. We definitely in the second half look to engage more aggressively not just on Enzo actually but also on Colwell and De Sassi when they're splitting wide particularly Colwell in the in the left back zone so if Gusto's receiving right back we'll press on him with Ben Rama Colwell couldn't receive quite as easily in so much space because Bowen was activating when the ball was going to that side of the pitch they play in Enzo so Enzo in the first half has been you know advanced eight he drops back in alongside Gallagher receives there's no one there to press him second half Ward Prowse is coming out of midfield going to put some pressure on that and it's interesting actually because you know Cal you're the stats guy you would look at the PPDA and you see second half the the numbers actually get bigger as in we're pressing less you know the 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 numbers get crazy straight after half time but i wonder if that's not less pressure from us wonder if that's actually they're having to play more passes and build up to get to the final third 
before they can then really try and look to threaten where we might be able to intercept or, or there's a header or a tackle that then means the PPDA was slightly lower in the first half because they were just always there. So the, the, the penetrative passes are coming sooner, if you like, and the interruptions are therefore coming coming sooner. Yeah, I think I think you're probably spot on. And I think as well, it is probably partially to do with how the, the data itself is measured from, from provider to provider, right? I think PPDA by its very nature is passes per defensive action. And I think we kind of, in a lot of instances, stopped short of the defensive action, if that makes sense. It was like threatening to press without actually engaging in the act of a tackle or an interception. It was kind of just forcing them, like you say, to cycle it around between the defenders and sort of like the threat of I'm running towards you, now you need to get rid of it, and then stopping as soon as they got rid of it to go and threaten the next person. But we never actually were flying into tackles or necessarily intercepting passing lanes. It was more about guiding Chelsea into, well, this is the only channel that you can you can pass down and, and we sort of funnel them into the areas that we want them to be in. And, and And that in turn meant that we had a little bit more control in the second half compared to the first half because we were sort of forcing them to play in the way that we wanted them to play um, as opposed to the first half where they were kind of more capable of playing the way that they wanted to play. And I think it's an interesting sort of nuance really, isn't it? Because it's, it's kind of comes to the to- topic of what we were saying earlier. It's like people get upset that we don't have control of the game because we don't have the ball. But actually, despite us not having as much possession, it felt like we asserted much more control in the second half, despite not having the ball, um, which I think is an effective, uh, yeah, an effective use of the game plan Um whether or not you like what the game plan is, it was it was carried out well. Coming more to the things that West Ham did specifically really well in this game, um, obviously James Will Prowse gets two assists, which is a which is a huge huge help. Antonio scores a great goal on the break, and we do really well managing with with, with ten men. But in the second half, the standout performer surely Thomas Suchek. Again, we talked about him last week. What a brilliant second half performance from him. Yeah, it was just every, everything you want to see from Thomas Suchek, right? It's again, he he comes in for a lot of stick, and and people people will probably criticise us because we're always the first to defend him. But I, I don't think it's necessarily defending; it's just highlighting what his function is in in a side and how how many different types of midfielder there is. And it's like, okay, just because he's not Enzo Fernandez, everyone thinks he's shit and he's the first player to be replaced in this lineup. But he's not there to fulfil that role. And 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 if you judge him solely on what his function in this side is, which is to um, head the ball out of the box as frequently as possible. And and that comes back to the game plan of Moyes and how successfully, particularly in the second half, we were able to funnel Chelsea outside, force them to cross. And then we're so confident defending our box, particularly against Chelsea, who don't really have much aerial threat in that box, to my mind, at least with the likes of Sterling and... and, um, and Mitchell in the second half and, and Jackson and the sort of people getting into the box and even the midfield. I suppose Gallagher does represent some sort of box threat, but there wasn't too much to worry about. But Suchek nonetheless was was rising to me everything, it seemed. And whether that was heading it away, whether that was lunging in front of people and, and getting to the ground and intercepting the ball in, in lower areas as well, he was doing it all. Um, and I think if you judge him for that, it's like he's not going to have much impact in possession because we're not going to have much possession. But if you're not going to have much possession, you need someone who can dominate the box. And, and that's what he does. And, and for 
further up the field as well. I think, again, his decision-making and when to sort of leap out and, and close down the ball and, and prevent it from getting into the box by, by stepping out and intercepting and clearing. I think he was, he was brilliant at that as well. Um, and snapping into defensive, defensive duels too, again, exemplary performance. And yeah, it was great to see. And I think if we're going to really lean back into this sort of Moyes ball system, then I think he is, as much as people might hate it, he is going to be a really important player for us this season. Um, and, and I hope that slowly with continuing performance levels like this, he will gradually sort of turn the, the, fav- the, the sort of online favour or, or lack of at the minute uh, and get everyone back on side by being an instrumental part. We spoke about him last week um, <laughs> and we criticised the way that he defended against Dominic Solanke, Solanke getting in behind a lot uh, for Bournemouth. Um, it's a strange one this week because he got sent off. <laughs> but Nyfiger versus Nico Jackson, it was a lot better than Nyfiger versus Dominic Solanke, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I was a bit worried, to be honest, because I thought last week against Liverpool, I thought Jackson looked pretty tidy. I thought he looked like a bit of a threat. He looked lively. And I thought this player, when it clicks, is going to be solid. And to be honest, I didn't come away from the game thinking any different. I still thought Jackson represented a threat. I thought he looked good in behind. I thought his ball carrying was pretty good. And his sort of his willingness to drive to the byline and cut it along the back to, to sort of a late arriving midfielder or a striker that sort of stalled their run and dropped off um, it was, was dangerous. And there was a handful of times where he did that and there was just no one there, which I think is kind of a summation of some of Chelsea's issues uh, in the final third, right? They're kind of um, as good as Jackson is. They probably still lack an actual number nine who's going to be in that sort of position of maximum opportunity um, uh, to get on the end of his cut packs. Uh, so I think that is probably a bigger issue for Chelsea. But I, I think Agurd, yeah, handled it really well. His coverage, both in behind and in wide areas, I thought was brilliant. He 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 bailed out Emerson a fair few times, I think. And he, uh, as we know, defending is maybe not his favorite thing, which uh, for a defender can be quite concerning and, and, uh, yeah, increases the heart rate on numerous occasions. But I thought a good, he looked way back up to pace. I thought his recovery pace looked good. His sharpness in decision-making looked way back to the level that I would expect and want from him. I think we said last week that against Bournemouth, there seemed to be, not even a split second at times, like a couple of seconds of hesitancy, which meant that it was so easy for people to just peel off him and run him behind or sort of play around him. Whereas today, his decision-making was a lot sharper. He was stepping out to meet the ball a lot more regularly and with a lot more confidence. Um, and he, yeah, he was a lot less susceptible to getting to getting played in behind. I suppose part of that comes maybe with the territory because we were pinned in a lot deeper um, against Chelsea than, than we were against Bournemouth and therefore there's obviously less space for the opposition to exploit. Um, but I think more generally, like sort of taking a, a broader look at it, I thought the defensive line itself seemed to be a lot more organised. They were a lot tighter to each other. The partnership between the players in the back line was, was a lot more defined. Um, they stepped out together. There wasn't much instances where anyone had a lapse and sort of threatened to play someone on side or something like that that you, that you could see happened, last week. happened once with with emerson no no yeah he kind of backpedaled and let sterling get behind the line and then he sort of fell over as he was backpedaling which made it easier yeah. to get him behind yeah and also characteristic 
characteristic of Emerson just more generally, right? If, if there was going to be one player in this defensive shape that I would potentially expect to have those lapses, it's probably yeah. him. But I think I came away with it with a, a good deal of confidence that, that the back line, if we continue to sort of, and Touchwood, I know it's been an issue for a long time with West Ham with defensive injuries, but if we can get a consistent sort of turnout from this preferred starting back four, um, then then I think it should continue to blossom. Um, and I, I mean, we all want that Zuma a good partnership to work, right? It, it's like on paper, it should be so good. <laughs> like they yeah, complement yeah. each other so well. Um, so yeah, uh, long may it continue. But yeah, I think we're right to, to to bring him up because I think it was a much improved performance compared to, to Bournemouth against, in theory, more threatening opposition. Back to what changed in the in the second half. And actually, topical for all the things we've just discussed, to be honest, because we talked about Thomas Suchek playing really well in the second half. And obviously, first half versus second half differences. Chuck Wemmicke, for me, played a crucial role in, in, in what Chelsea were doing in the first half. And I thought their ability to play into that pocket on the left side of the pitch, they had kind of the, the dynamic, very similar on the right side to what it was against Liverpool. You saw a lot of connective play in, in the Liverpool match between Raheem Sterling and um, Rhys James in that match. Obviously, it's Malo Gusto this time. I thought there was less connection between Gusto and, and Sterling, but more from like Fernandes and, and Sterling. And there was that threat, massive threat in the half space on the right side. Chukwemeka on the other side, much more one-two touch, receiving back to goal on the half turn, looking to to play really quick passes off. And uh, you have these rotations a lot where Chilwell will either go in behind on the outside or start driving in on the inside. And it's those quick interchanges between the fact that they can get Colwell up and have Chilwell there as well, and Chuck Wemmicka there, and Gallagher can come across too, and they can engineer these, you know, a 4v3 or a 3v2, where you play a couple of quick passes, and then you're in behind the defence, and you've got an opportunity to cut the ball back, um, which is, I think, clearly what they're looking to do, right, is to get into into those, uh, down to the byline on either side, and, and play cutbacks, and, and then score goals from those situations. There was one chance very late in the first half, where Nico Jackson swung, missed, and then it came to Chilwell, and, you know, big man Thomas Suchek is in just the perfect place to take a swing at it and, and clear it off the line. Not a great finish from, from Chilwell. But the difference for Chelsea, first half, second half, not only, yeah, West Ham are pressing a little bit more, you know, activating, maybe pressing isn't the wrong word, but activating to try and interrupt build-up or disrupt build-up or slow it down uh, more in the second half. But Mikhailo Mudrik comes on because Nkunku's out. Chukwemeka gets injured just before half-time. It's not really a natural 10 then at Chelsea to come on to play in that in that left half space, receive in the pocket and play those quick passes that allow Chilwell to, to get in behind and really threaten on the on the outside on the on the flank. Mudrick comes on and suddenly they've got the kind of it's kind of a straight line runner, isn't he? Like you know, he wants to be on the outside, wants to wants to drive at the fullback. And not so West Ham are trying to force Chelsea wide more, but also naturally because the fact that they've got now a winger playing in the 10 position. And Sterling on the other side, you've got two players that are dropping, vacating and looking to attack wide spaces on, on both sides of the pitch. Kind of isolated Jackson a little bit. And in many ways, I felt, made the game a hell of a lot easier for us. Yeah, 100%. I think it, it feels weird, doesn't it, to talk about the idea that a side that's spent almost a billion pounds in 18 months doesn't have the, the necessary depth of the bench to come on and, and sort of carry out like the same tactical instruction they kind of Chelsea's hand was forced almost in in that they weren't able to execute sort of plan a because of 
the unfortunate injury to Chukwemeka. And, and yeah, it, it made it a lot easier for us because it was much easier for us to predict how they were going to attack because in Mudrik, like he is a very good straight line runner. He's he's good at that. Like he's he recorded, I think, four progressive runs in, in the time that he was on the pitch, which is a high return for someone who is on the pitch for 90 minutes, to be honest, particularly in the role that you would expect him to be playing in that Chelsea side as more of a 10 than an actual direct winger. Um, but well, it still, didn't last long, just to that's very what briefly. I mean. it, yeah, you know, like... <laughs> exactly. So th- that's what I mean. It kind of, they tried to do it for a bit and then it was clear that it wasn't going to work. And it was like, all right, fine, just do what you're good at. And he, and he kind of did that, but it meant that we we were a lot happier to deal with that. I think we we were quite happy to let him carry out into those areas. It's kind of a hallmark of a moist side. We, if you go back and listen to every pod, you'll probably have heard us mention this a hundred times. But the sort of funneling people into the wide areas so that we can defend those wide channels. And um, I think yeah, it played into our hands a bit. Um, it, it's an interesting one, Madrid. I don't I don't know. I feel a bit bad for him really he's come in with all this pressure and the price tag and this young wonder kid and it's just seemed to not really work from there and I, and I don't know what role he plays in this Pochettino side either if he's going to persist with this sort of three wing back vibe role I don't know where Mudrick fits in there um it's an interesting one but yeah I think it's a real shame for Chukwemeka as well because I think I said to you in, in the pre-pod planning I think I wasn't sure what role Chukwemeka was going to play in this side um, I didn't know if he was going to be loaned out I didn't know if this was going to get a chance this season and I think in the limited time that he's played so far this season I think he's had a real impact and really staked a claim to be and have a starting berth in this side even with the introduction of Caicedo I think obviously wouldn't necessarily limit his minutes but I think there's a real role for him in in that half space and it's unfortunate um, for him but perhaps fortunate for West Ham that he ended up going off at half time but yeah and I think it limits as well it limits Chilwell who's such an impactful player for Chelsea having that direct runner in front of him it, it means that there's the spaces that Chilwell wants to attack are already being attacked so it's like he's kind of just here like whoa what do I do now like that, that's my space man like why are you in it um, I suppose as well the, the other thing I wanted to touch on I think there's probably been a lot of queries as to the function that Gallagher plays in this team and even more so now that Caicedo is going to come in I don't know if he, he really features as often but I think in the sort of the, the lack of the number nine to be attacking those cutbacks, like we say, they're going to try and create these chances by getting to the byline, creating opportunities through cutbacks. For all his weaknesses, Gallagher is probably the guy you want in that position. Like, I think when he was linked to West Ham, we talked about the sort of role that he could play in the West Ham side. And that was what we kind of highlighted is getting on the end of those cutbacks in a way that Suchek did in previous years in that best year where he got all those goals that was his function and at the time we were looking at Gallagher as coming in as a potential shoe check replacement and not really offering much in progression but continuing to add that box threat and I think he could be crucial if in that respect this is how Chelsea are going to want to try and fill that void in the aggregate almost like they have a Jackson who he's not going to be your number nine that gets on the end of things but he is going to create those chances so you need someone to come in and fill that void and I think Gallagher could be that guy, but he is he is limited elsewhere, obviously. And with a midfield pivot that's worth nearly two hundred and fifty million pounds, it's difficult to see where yeah. where he fits in. Um, uh, well, I wonder if, if if Poch could sort of you know FM style or FIFA style reload and play the second half again. Whether whether he would have maybe gone with Gallagher moving forward into that 10 position and maybe Kaiseido coming on at, at half time rather than when he did, because ultimately, I mean, that's what happened anyway. You know, mm-hmm. Madrid 
operating in that turn space and just stealing Chilwell's space, just forced Chilwell to come off the pitch, basically. Yeah. And 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 Caicedo comes on and they go four three three. They just go to a straight up four three three after that because of the fact that. Now, Madrid's not going to be able to to replicate that, you know, what we saw from Carney in the first half, that one-two touch thing, receiving on the yeah. half turn, that combinative play, helping other players get into dangerous positions. It's not really part of his game. And I do feel for Madrid, like you, you know, similarly, I think he's a really talented player, clearly has talent. And there's, a, there's moments where, you know, there's one big moment where he got round the outside and, and whipped a wonderful ball in across uh, across the back line. It's tough coming on against low books. You know, if you're if you're the guy that's going to, thrive in transition and we're, we're not going to give you any then um yeah it's difficult difficult to 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 make that work i think they were quite poor after after madrid came on in the second half it really affected how how effective they were as a team you see that reflected in the fact they have 150 final third passes first half 137 second half and half the second half they're playing against 10 men so much less effective but Obviously, credit West Ham, you know, the press to begin with stops them getting there so much. So that gives us a little bit more control back. But then also these changes for Chelsea really affected things. Speaking about how Chelsea's midfield functioned and, you know, Caicedo coming off the bench didn't really work at all. He had a really poor cameo um, overall and, and ends up giving away the... Well, he gave away a chance to Fornells that Fornells very nearly put away just beforehand and then gave away the, the penalty that Packeter scores to to seal the game up. But um, we talked, we sort of ended the podcast last week on how's the midfield going to look. You've got James Ward-Prowse come, coming in, you've got Edson Alvarez coming in, Thomas Suchek's had a very good first two games now and Lucas Packeter is obviously a key element and that Man City deal looks like it's fallen through which we were not sure about last season we've had all the betting stuff in the in the week since and 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 now it seems that he's not going to be moving to Man City so now it's four doesn't go into three you know how how, how's it going to work out or Prowse with two assists Alvarez a very impressive cameo Suchet playing well and Packeter, clearly a very important part of the team. If you look to the way that Moyes spoke about him, at the end of that wonderful quote when he was asked about Packeter's performance, said, I think 65,000 people were stood on their feet applauding him for the whole game. <laughs> clearly really liked it. <laughs> so uh, it was by never being afraid of getting on the ball, always taking the ball, doesn't matter the situation, always coming and taking the ball, never being afraid of it, which is such an important part of what you do if you're going to have little possession and need players to help you to get out, um, which he certainly did, minus the aberration where, I mean, he claims a foul when Sterling's pressuring him and just leaves the ball completely, which is just inexcusable. Um, what do you make of it, Cal, after after seeing these players for, a, you know, Alvarez 15 minutes and, and Ward-Prowse for 70-odd? Yeah, I think it's it's really difficult, actually. It's a bit of a bit of a puzzle, um, I think, in a way, and I'm really, really happy that he, it looks like he's going to stay because I think he's he's undoubtedly one of my favourite players and probably, technically speaking, the best player at the club, uh, Paqueta. But it does it probably would have made everything a lot easier if he did go because all of a sudden it's like your hand, you, you know, your decisions made for you because your midfield just picks itself in in the three players in, in Suchek, Alvarez and Ward-Prowse being the best three midfielders you have so you just work it out and see what happens um, but I think Paqueta has to play like, you, there's no, there's not a world in which Paqueta doesn't go into this three right um, and I think for me 
So does Ward Prowse, I think. Well, that's what I mean. And I think then it's like, okay, you're making a decision between Alvarez and and Suchek as the six, essentially, or, or the more defensive of the two in a double pivot with Paqueta as the 10. And it feels weird to say it because I think it's a really difficult decision. And I think for a lot of people, it would be really obvious. You go, well, we've just signed Alvarez and, and Suchek shit or whatever. And so you have to play Alvarez. But I think if we're, as we've said up until now, there is a really important role that Suchek fulfills in this team in defending the box and, and sort of attacking the box and stuff. However, I will say that from what I've watched of Alvarez and what he's good at, I think there is, I think he can fulfill some of those roles. He's very dominant aerially. Um, he, as we've as we've said, if you've read any of our bits on on the West Ham site, but also we, I think we mentioned it on the pod, but he scored more goals from set pieces than any other player in the Eredivisie over the last two seasons, um, which kind of speaks to how dominant he is in the opposition box. But I think I've I've seen less of it at Ajax because that's obviously not how they play. I haven't seen him have to drop in and defend his own box, um, but. I would hazard a guess that with time he would be able to function in that position just by way of his skill set. He is very good in the air. Positionally, he's very good in terms of his his awareness. He's a little bit aggressive in stepping out a little bit too often. But again, I think that comes with the territory. At Ajax, you're unlikely to be punished for that because you're such a dominant force in the league. So you can afford to have those steps out. It's kind of like what we'd said with Kerr at PSG as well, the same thing. He has that trait of like constantly wanting to press out and just trigger a press and attack the ball when at times it's not the best decision. But at PSG, he could get away with it because he's got a team full of world beaters, so it doesn't matter. Um, Kerr's transition into learning that has been probably less effective than we might have hoped. Um, I think Alvarez is probably a better player than Tilo Kerr, to be honest. Um, so I think for me, it's, it is Alvarez... Ward Prowse on the right of him and Pacatera as that sort of 10A. And unfortunately for Suchek, as good as he has been, and, and rightly we've praised him, I just think there comes a time where he's naturally phased out. And there's going to be games where you probably want him. There might be games where, if we're really up against it, you go with Alvarez and Suchek, well, that would be pretty goddamn slow. Um, but I think as well, Alvarez, in fulfilling the functions that Suchek does, albeit maybe not as well in some areas he also offers a lot more on the ball and in possession um, which I think can only be a good thing I think it's kind of like aerially dominant Suchek who can also carry the ball comfortably through the thirds and offer a lot more in passing and is way more comfortable in fact very comfortable splitting the centre-backs and receiving the ball in defence and sort of playing that rice role almost in build-up so I think it probably works out as a net positive assuming he can transition into a more defensive minded side compared to the possession dominant Ajax side that he was in I think we might potentially see a little bit of rotation (laughs) (laughs) wild to suggest Um, but there's four really good midfielders there no and and they all have different uses and different games that they'll be suited to yeah it's crazy I was just thinking about it then We've got four midfielders who all, at some point in the last two seasons, have been linked to a Champions League winning side. Alvarez was linked to Chelsea, Piquet has been linked to City, Ward-Prowse has been linked to Liverpool throughout his career, and Suchek has been linked to Liverpool and Bayern. So, it's kind of mad. (laughs) What a a time. What a time we find ourselves in. It's such a nice problem to have. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it knits together in different games. It's going to be interesting to see how it blends. I think it's still too early for, for me to kind of yeah. work that out. We had moments in the game, you know, we, we briefly talked about this before we started recording. Cal and I were just talking about the the 
penalty that we conceded, Suchek's tackle, and how when we were sitting 5-4-1 at times, Ben Rama playing sort of a situational left wing-back role, that the midfield sort of has to drift. We talked earlier about Pakata almost ending up fulfilling a left wing role, becomes a 5-4-1, and... Suchek goes and covers the right back. Sufal's drawn out. So Ward Prowse becomes a central midfielder, but he's playing like he's still playing in a 4 4 1 1. It says there's no drift. So Suchek ends up coming across because neither Ward Prowse or Pakata go to deal with the threat. And he makes a silly lunging tackle and gives away a penalty. And it's little moments like that that you think, how, how's this going to knit together? Who, who's going to form that partnership in there where there's that natural understanding of, right, you've gone there. Now I feel this, this gap. And that's what we're going to need to start seeing forming over yeah. the course of the, the next couple of couple of months. I suppose I had one question there. I suppose it makes it's probably the best time for me to ask it, actually. But I think it's something that fans will want to hear and, and probably have been asking themselves, actually. But in this sort of situational 5-4-1 that we talk about where Ben Rama drops in as a left wing back, um, I think there will have been some question marks, particularly given his performance against Bournemouth the week prior, which I thought was pretty good. And I think he had a pretty good impact when he came on as well against Chelsea. Um, I think for a lot of people, Fornals is probably as good a candidate, if not a stronger candidate in their minds to fulfil that left wing back function in that he is seen as probably more defensively secure than Ben Rama. Um, I think as well, if we go back to the top of the pod where we were talking about the struggles in the first half getting out to Antonio because he doesn't have that player to create those sort of link-ups with, doesn't have the sort of bounce pass option. I think we see, albeit obviously he's going to be pinned back in that position, but Fornals is the one you want to be receiving the ball off Antonio because he is more than anyone in the squad bar maybe Paqueta and potentially Ward Prowse now. But he is a very reliable person to play that first-time pass into the channel, whether it's to Bowen, whether it's to a spinning Antonio. We've seen it with Fornals. He came on and he didn't misplace a pass. Like He's he's very he's reliable yeah, in, in that respect. So I just wonder, I suppose, as the, the tactics guy, like I say, like what do you think the justifications maybe are to having Ben Rama in that role over Fornals or, or whether you you would have personally preferred to have seen Fornals in that role and what he might offer as compared to Ben Rama? Well, I'm going to have to put myself on two times speed because we're running out of time and I want to talk about a Greek <laughs> guy that's turning up over the next few days. Um, but uh, how can I talk about this quickly? First of all, I think Ben Rama becomes important in games like this, even though he's playing so deep because of his ball carrying ability to help you get out his ability to connect with Pakata, go beyond, and Emerson as well. You've got two players on that side. Emerson did it brilliantly, actually. You know, he had some defensive issues in the game, but what he offered us in terms of driving up the pitch three, four times, he ends up actually going and winning the penalty at the end, which is a little bit wild, you know, like trying to attack when we've only got a few seconds to see out, just take it to the corner, mate. But I don't know, I love it. You know, it's Emerson, that's what you get. Um, we love a, we've had the offer, you know, we love a left wing back that's just going to dribble at what cost? I don't care. I'm dribbling. And actually, we're going to be talking about someone else who's going to start doing that on the other side of the pitch in the in the next segment. Um, but yeah, his ball carrying over there, the ability to combine with those players and just be more direct in his play, carrying rather than passing is quite important when you're struggling, when you're stuck so deep. You know, I think potentially with four nails in there, it's different to two years ago, Antonio. You know, Antonio is 34 now. He's not quite giving you the same platform as he used to. So he needs more assistance. You need a little bit more directness coming from deeper to be able to help you get out of the pitch in other ways. You can't just rely on Antonio to be your sole 
outlet at all times. So I think that's part of the reason, although I think Fornals would offer a lot more defensively. I think maybe um, one thing that's worth talking about just briefly on, on, on Ben Rama, who, who I did think didn't play very well in this game. I thought he was probably the, the, the weakest performer overall, made some really poor decisions in attack, which is something that we've come to see a lot really with Saeed over, over the last, particularly over last season and, and what we've seen of this season so far. Um, is that, and it's very, again, sort of like I'm getting into the very nitty gritty sort of tactics, nerdy thing here. Well, and that's what this podcast is for. So I don't know why I'm apologizing for it. But um, if you look at the second goal, James or Prowse's pass into Antonio, increasingly I'm really liking the moments where their left winger abandons the wing and steps in um into a sort of half space position and the reason i like it is because i really like the opportunities to combine with packeter moving up the pitch i like how close they can get to the striker and most of all what i like is when it goes wrong when you lose the ball you get a situation like we got you've got so many players around the site of the ball the turnover that Ben Rama can make a, uh, a little tackle, doesn't win the ball himself, but the ball then drops toward Prowse. You can play a first-time pass in behind for Antonio and you score off the back of it. I really like that because you've just got a little bit of extra support in the middle of the pitch when the, when the ball is turned over on an attack. And I just think it makes us so much more of a threat in terms of being able to transition from higher up the pitch rather than transitioning from around our, our own box. And in those situations, uh, throwing the question back at you, and I'm going to give you about 40 seconds to answer it, Lucas Pacator on the left in a game, is that ever going to happen if he's always stepping in? Yeah, I, I suppose that's kind of one of the things that I was thinking about as well when, uh, when, when you have this puzzle of the midfield three. Do you just shift him out there and then you can get everyone in? Um, but I think, the, I think for me the imbalance is that obviously he's left-footed and He's, if he's going to be in those half spaces, it doesn't necessarily matter as much, but it is different to having Ben Rama cut in on his right and carry towards it. Lucas Petaket is always going to, if he's carrying in, his preference is always going to be to then shift back out to the left of it. And it kind of upsets the, it disrupts the balance a bit in how we want to play and how we want to build up. So I think, I think he could be an asset there. And I think there is a world in which he could play it, but I think it would require us to kind of change how we want to approach things. I think ultimately you just want to upgrade a left wing, don't really, really. <laughs> I agree. Right. Last section of the podcast. We're going to have to do this incredibly quickly. Sorry, everyone. But Konstantinos Mavropanos, centre-back, VFP Stuttgart. Looks like it's going to be 20 million quid. Um, yeah, go on, Cal. Tell us about him. <laughs> yeah, big fan. Uh, I'm excited by this. And I think uh, we we were actually pretty high on the Maguire thing, but I'm a lot higher on Mavropanos. I think he is just more exciting. I think there's, he doesn't come with all the baggage that Maguire would have brought. And there was a lot of elements of risk there. And I think Mavropanos is just kind of the perfect blend of what I would want from a centre-back, particularly we've spoke a lot about bringing in players who can function in the Moyes side, but can outlive Moyes as well. And I think Mavropanos is that guy. Um, he brings you everything you want in a Moyes centre-back, absolutely dominant aerially, um, provides an absolutely huge goal threat. I think he, more than any other centre-back in the Bundesliga last season, actually uh, created 
more XG per 90. Uh, he led the league in that respect of all defenders. So another person to get on the end of Ward Prowse's deliveries, which is just brilliant. Um, I think that's going to be huge. Defensively, obviously, that comes with great strength as well. He's going to be more than happy to defend the box um, if crosses are going to be going in there. I think the position is actually really good as well. Yeah. If, you yeah. Know, if, if you're looking at what you lose if Zuma does get injured, and you know, last season we had Tilo, which was positioning from crosses is a big weakness yeah. actually in his game. Um, Costas or, or Dinos, I'm not sure which he prefers. I think yeah. it's Dinos that he prefers. Yeah. Um, positionally excellent in, in those situations where he's exposed, maybe the fullback gets beaten. Really, really good at blocking crosses. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I think in that respect, very exciting. I think also in possession, he's really, his his range of passing is brilliant. His long passing is really good. Uh, his like ability to hit a switch is is incredible. And I think that can be a real asset as well. If, if I mean, we're more likely to be wanting to ping that switch when we're building up down the left rather than the right. To, to my mind, you want to free up Bowen in that space on the right flank and get a Gerd hitting those switches. But to have the option of doing both is something that we've not really had that much. I, I, I'm not really that comfortable with Zuma pinging those switches as I am compared to Agurd and definitely when compared to Mavropanos. So to have the ability to have a bit more dynamism in attack and, and mix it up a bit and sort of hit both flanks with regularity is, is really exciting. I think the other thing he adds that Zuma definitely doesn't have and potentially can be scary, but really exciting when watching him is that he absolutely loves to carry the ball out from the back, um, which is really fun. I think he's averaged almost two dribbles per 90 last season, uh, which is, that's like, that's like winger levels. That's like crazy. Um, but, it's what you want, right? It's something like, especially the way we've struggled and build up a lot is like, we've not really had those characters who kind of like Maguire, to be honest, um, who, if there isn't a pass on, but there's space in front of him, has the confidence to just carry it himself and, and take on the responsibility of progression by just driving forward into those vacant spaces and then playing the pass a few seconds later as the, as the defensive shape has shifted around him and channels have opened up. And when you combine that with his ability to hit a pass, but also his vision and sort of to spot those passing lanes, um, I think it's a really, a really nice addition. And like I say, if, if Moyes goes and we bring in a more progressive manager who's less dependent on defending the box and nodding the ball out and just kind of going along to Antonio he's going to be fine because he has all that but he's also comfortable building out from the back and receiving off the goalkeeper so for me a win-win and um, another really exciting addition and another really good depth option um, which is something that we've not been able to say for a while we're going to be having a pretty solid core uh, it would seem we've got two decent goalkeepers I thought Ariola quickly was very good um, we're going to have some nice centre-back yeah, big shot for Ariola. brilliant yeah massive midfield depth now with four top quality centre mids. So it's getting there. The squad's getting there. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And um, I think there, there are clear similarities, right? Maripan as, as, a, as a backup target, if Maguire doesn't come free, carrying centre-back, big guy, good at defending the box. You can see how that works as a kind of, as a backup target. And I think both of us would potentially say the backup target is maybe a nicer place to, la- to, place to land than the, than the primary target was um yeah we shall see he's gonna be fun uh the, the dribbling scares me a little bit and i would say the only the only other thing that i have a slight concern about is watching watching lots of mavropanos footage over the last few days he he does jump out yeah a lot um and he likes to try and get in front of the striker I actually would say it's one of his best traits he's very good at, it, at, at making interceptions but we drop a lot as yeah. a defensive line. That's most, that's, most don't like that. <laughs> we do. We, we like to drop more. So I, I don't know how that translates to Moyes. I don't know, you know, 
how that that's going to work in terms of a back line. But if there's a centre back partner that can deal with someone who's going to be aggressive a lot and who's going to step out a lot and dribble a lot and might lose the ball a couple of times, Aguirre's ability to to cover is up there with, with some of the best. So hundred percent, I can see how that partnership would would make sense going forward. If if Zuma is someone who gets continues to have as many injury problems as he has had over over the last few seasons, right? That's us. We literally have to run. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> thank you so much uh, for tuning in. We will be back next week after Brighton. I'm slightly concerned. They've scored eight goals in two games and they're very <laughs> against us. Uh, so. I hope you enjoyed the upbeat vibes over the first two uh, weeks of the West Ham breakdown. Uh, I'm anticipating the breakdown will be back yeah. uh, next week. Uh, so I look forward to chatting to you all then. Uh, see you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.